<laughs> yes, it does. Fast Money starts right now live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York's Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan. In for Melissa Lee, feeling pretty uh, comfortable here, pretty much at home. Thank you. You lent us uh, this desk for a while before we moved downstairs on Squawk Box. These guys are my friends here, Pete Najarian, Steve Grasso, Brian Kelly, and Tim Seymour. I wish it was uh, a better uh, reason for us to be together tonight, but it's not. We're going to start with the market sell-off. Uh, once the market started selling today, it really didn't let up. Uh, the Dow sinking 600 points, closing near the lows of the day. The loss is accelerating as it seems to do in the last hour of trading. Tech leading the way big time uh, to the downside. NASDAQ weaker than the other averages. For more on the wild day on Wall Street, let's get to Bob Pisani for the details. Robert. Hello there, Joe. Good to see you. The market is boxed in due to the problems with the Fed and global growth. Those are the two issues. Today's decline in tech can't be blamed exclusively on Apple. All right, it was down 5%. Lumentum, one of Apple's facial recognition suppliers, reduced its outlook for the quarter, citing a reduced shipment request from one of its biggest customers, which everyone assumes is Apple, probably correctly. Other Apple suppliers, Corvo, Cirrus Logic, JBL, they were all weak, along with big semiconductors like AMD, NVIDIA, and ST Micro. But the fact that all the FANG names, like Amazon, Facebook, Netflix, were down 2 to 3%, and the industrial and the energy sectors were down 1.5% each. It points to a much bigger problem than Apple. Domestic growth seems strong, and it is, but the global growth picture in Europe and China is generally weaker. And that's one reason all the high valuation stuff, like the FANG names, are getting taken down. Now, the tariff issue is also greatly complicating the global growth picture. Nobody can quite figure out what's going to happen with that either. Another problem is the strong dollar, which is a result of the Fed raising rates. Also a result of Brexit problems, a weak euro like Italy and weak European economy, and, of course, a weaker China. That all plays into the stew. That strong dollar is hurting commodities in turn with double-digit declines this year. We've seen in copper and aluminum and zinc and lumber. Look at all these. The recent decline in oil is being blamed on oversupply issues, but it's likely that concerns about a slowdown in demand may also be a factor in the decline of oil. Unfortunately, the Fed is boxed in as well. The market is implying it wants the Fed to slow down on rate hikes. But with the current economic news, it can't do that. The news is too good, and it won't be able to until December at the very earliest. And even then, that's going to be a tough call. So the bottom line here, the two issues the market cannot answer right now is where is global growth and what is the Fed tightening picture going to be in 2019? Good to see you, Joe. Good to see you, Bob. I mean, we're getting a little bit acclimated to this. When was it? Was it Wednesday? We were up 500. Yep. I mean, these are 2% moves. It'd be good to, to make to get used to feeling what 2% is at 26,000 or whatever, right? I mean, it's still, yeah. it's still heart-wrenching, but it's not, you know, it's not like 15%, thank God. It's you know what? It's appropriate for, for the VIX to be at and above 20 at this point. That's when I start paying attention for a simple reason. The market is confused because it can't figure out what the global growth picture is going to be like, how strong are earnings going to be. We have 10% for 2019. Maybe it's going to be half of that. Some think it could be... One or two percent. That's a big difference. That's a lot of confusion. Yep. The market should be volatile on that kind Bob, of Bob, it kind of started this morning. And I, it, wow, I was here for that, in fact. <laughs> uh, it kind of, kind of started this morning with the China, the new China intellectual property stuff. You could see the future sold off uh, before the market even opened. And you add that to everything else, and, uh, and here we are. Anyway, um, thank you, Bob Pisani. Okay. We only have an hour, as that's I understand. That's it? Yeah. We could be, yeah, you guys do a Lonnie show, and it would be a good show. Like, go like that's what I got to get right? used like to. a half day for you. I got to calibrate, recalibrate. <laughs> it's a third that. day. The question is simple uh, tonight. What happened? And 
what do you do? Now, Pete, I'm just going to read a quick Jim Cramer tweet, and he'll be on at 6. I would tune in to him. This day had no redeeming factors if you are a bull none, capital N-O-N-E. And I was on with Jim at noon today, and basically it's the same thing. And then we were down about 300 at the time. And I'll tell you, the acceleration of the downside is concerning. I'm surprised. Bob mentioned the VIX at, th at 20. I'm surprised it didn't get up to closer to maybe 23, 24, 25. Right. I mean, with that kind of a sell-off and the pressure that we were seeing, and the one name that's not part of FANG, but it is part of FANG, is Apple. Right. And, and when you see Apple down 5% in a single day, and it's a name that was just trading back up to 209 and pulled all the way back down to this 194, 95 range, that's been a couple of bad days for Apple, and that was the one name that was holding up. So the one disagreement I'd have with Bob right now is he said, well, it's not really just about Apple. I think it's a lot about Apple because people are looking at Apple as the one area, the bastion of where you can go and hang out. You right? lost the last there's soldier. some safety, and now that soldier. You're you, right. have, you have Apple, you had oil, you had global growth. And to Pete's point, the last soldier in your defense, if you were a, a bull, was Apple. It was your value play. It was your growth play. Now, if you don't have Apple, you really don't have anything. Where are you putting your faith? Where are you putting your stock? Literally. Right. And it's the reason why Apple fell, right? It wasn't because they might have had a bad quarter. It wasn't because they, they were worried about the dollar. It was because it looks like their sales are slowing down. So extrapolate that to everybody else, and that's where you have the problem. To me, nothing's really changed since before the election to now. The only thing we've taken off the table is kind of the election uncertainty. But beyond that, all the global growth concerns, all the Fed concerns, and the U.S. dollar is even higher. So to me, nothing's changed at all. It's appropriate to have these up, down, uh, up and down 2% without a doubt. So, so right. So we're, where we were last Friday before midterm elections, I think we probably sat around here sometime on Wednesday after that big rally. And I'm not saying we called this. I'm saying we said, hey, what's different? What's different is good news and bad news. Does gridlock in Washington mean something for markets different than what we were pricing in before? We're not sure. Maybe it means a more aggressive White House, which could be more negative on the trade front. The bottom line here is look at the move in the semis. That's a 7% pullback in essentially two and a half days. They, to me, are the ultimate trade war victim and cyclical read. Um, between that and then let's talk about the dollar today. That, to me, is probably what has most people unnerved. Again, we've talked about the dollar being, Brian refers to it as the new VIX. Whatever you want to call, the dollar is a wrecking ball for risk assets, especially those inversely correlated to a dollar move. So bottom line here is dollar is also a flight to quality. The news out of the EU, Joe, is really, I think, what worries me most because we're starting to put you know, pressure on Italy again, the, the EU budget, and all the headlines that we've had out of Europe and political discord. Those are not even talked about in the context. But I think the biggest thing up. that you, you brought up, I think those are spot on, is the Fed and now the White House. If the White House isn't dictating or if the, if the Republicans aren't owning every branch of government, are you going higher or lower? The reason for a lot of this rally was the pro-growth policies. Yes. Lower regulation. If you don't have that, you don't go as high. Right. Well, the most bullish thing that we could have come out of the election was nothing gets undone. And that's what happened, right? We have this kind of, if you want to but call it gridlock. But, right, now the problem is the market's pricing in, nothing gets done. We had that huge rally, 500-point rally or so, on the idea that, all right, everything's going to stay status quo. But now things are starting to unwind a bit. Tim's, I, you know, I'm with Tim on Europe. I mean, a lot of people don't talk about it. We talked a little bit about Italy today, but the European situation, both in their economy and what's going on with Italian bonds, is spooking people. And but the biggest thing right now, it's still got to be trade policy, right? I mean, I hear everybody, everybody else, a lot of people talking about whether it's the dollar or the Fed or whatever it might be, but you look at trade policy, and isn't that one of the biggest headwinds? Because there's no clarity out there. I mean, we've gone through this earnings season, and what did we hear? We heard all the industrials almost 
to a company tell us how difficult it is to project forward because they have no idea. Right. They don't have clarity. Without clarity, you when it's cloudy, trade, it's tough. You get trade. I, I would like to see, and I know I sound like I'm trying to thread the needle here, I would like to see a test of the lows. 2603 or a test of the February lows and then I think we can rip higher with the clarity that Pete's talking about we get anything positive out of the G20 anything positive anything anything yeah. at all you oh. rip higher I, I didn't know you you were you were writing the needle you, you, you need seems I mean, you, here's what I would just say about Apple maybe to tie it back to the market Joe is is bottom line here is whether it's Apple's 60 bips on the triple Q's move or not the downgrade that came from J.P. Morgan today was really a function of, hey, we're looking at emerging markets. We're looking at slower growth. We're looking at a stronger dollar. So they're taking this company and they're actually dropping it right into an earnings profile that's not just a market dynamic. We're actually seeing it in that bellwether. 920, $920 billion. I mean, yep. it was just... Uh, a trillion yeah, yeah. and fifty, like a week ago. Yeah. A lot of hoopla Those about that. Those trillions have all We're going to hear that number. Was it two oh seven and a nickel? Remember, we heard so much did about that. Any of you guys see sixty minutes last night? Did you see yes. it? Tim Cook? What if that happens? No, but what if just the idea of, of this actually being my info? Not, I never even thought about that. Is my info my info, or is it Google? Right. I, thought, I just exactly. thought it was Google's. I really did. I mean, this guy made the case. It is not. It's mine. If that comes here. I'm worried about everybody but Apple at that point, right? You've got it because they can't even figure out how much it's going to cost them to uh, comply with GDPR in Europe. So that, that change is happening, and the business models of a lot of these companies, a lot of these tech companies, are being threatened. I mean, it's, it's like the, it's this peak centralization thesis. Pete, I was watching a, a football game, obviously, yeah, and then 60 you. Minutes is coming on, and I, I, was, you know, I thought it was going to be Leslie Stahl again, and I was like, <laughs> I got to check. And then they actually were going to do something that I needed to, and I, I actually watched I only it. get one station on my television, Joe. Um, Squawk Box? CNBC? Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. That boy. For, <laughs> more, yeah, up, for more on today's market uh, sell-off, we're joined now by Julian Emanuel of BTIG. Um, who I saw on Thursday, and you were in a great little mood on Squawk Box. We were up 500 the day before. Remember? Yeah. How are you feeling today? You know what? We said this is a process. This is a process. When you have a straight line sell-off like we had in the month of October, to expect a V bottom and sort of a race to the highs, completely the wrong way to think about it. 10% corrections tend to take from 60 to 200 days to regain the high. Okay? So that's, that's the context. Second context uh, is that November tends to be a positive return month. We still think it sorts itself out that way, but it actually stays volatile until the Thanksgiving holiday for the most part. And with Trump and Xi meeting on the 29th, expect it to stay volatile all the way till then. But then the third, uh, you know, the elephant in the room, we can't get around this. Basically, the market is saying is that political risk is higher. And it's obviously higher since all, the midterm elections. It, 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 well, so what is the one of the issues that both Democrats and Republicans seem to agree on? And that right. is a trade, a harder line against China. So that is something that we that. Uh, why isn't it still Powell? It, Especially why, with what happened to oil, global slowdown. Why, when does he go from one next year instead of three or, or at least go to two more increase. I mean, Kramer's been talking about when does he throw in the towel and say mission accomplished? Uh, he, uh, he won't say it likely well, in then, December. Then I don't know if it's true. But, but now that you have eight meetings, you could very well say it in, in January where you've got a press conference. Um, you think you he's know, starting to the, waffle? Do you think he, he sees days like this and says maybe I was a little bit uh, too hawkish? From our point of view, the Fed has throughout history tightened too long. 
And if you go, go back to the, the 06 tightening cycle, you didn't see financial conditions get materially tighter till it was too late. The problem here is if you don't have progress in the, on the trade front, things could go south very quickly. And from our point of view, even if you don't have a material economic downturn, the potential for more multiple compression, you've already compressed three multiple points this year, is there in 2019. So, so, but I guess that's where I would push at you, Julian. I mean, and congrats, because you come on here with ice water in your veins on down days, and you say the same thing, which I think is very constructive for people at home, not because, you know, you just want to believe the same thing. I think you believe there's a process. I'm worried about S&P earnings in 2019. People tell us we're going to grow another, you know, 7% next year. I don't think we will. Uh, I think the status quo is priced things wrong. So to us, mid-single digits in an environment where the Fed takes its foot off the accelerator is going to be sufficient, particularly if you're taking off the pressure off the rest of the world. And then, you know, we go back to trade again. Emerging markets have already taken it on the chin. Europe has already taken it on the chin. After the last few days, is the probability of auto tariffs against Europe lower or higher? It's probably a little higher. Um, but th these are the kinds of things that we have to deal with and realize that there is a material knock-on effect potential into 2019. So, Julie, I'm curious. You're saying mid-single digit returns for next year or earnings? Just I want to clear that up. Earnings. 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 Okay. Earnings. So, is it, so then you have volatility coming in. Wouldn't it be better just to buy bonds at 3% than deal with single-digit uh, earnings and volatility of 2% or more on any given day? They're all interconnected. You, you look at this year, and even, let's say, we pull back to sort of flat on the year at some point, and bonds still have looked, you know, quite poor. Um, from our point of view, the story with bonds is a much longer-term uh, sort of uh, circumstance that you really have changed the psychology over a two to three year period to where bonds look like the you know, yields are going higher looking out over the next three, five, ten years, and that's the risk. All right. Very good. This is a pretty easy show to do. I mean, you guys have a lot to say, don't you? you uh... We're not afraid. We're not afraid. Really, uh... I mean, you know. I've got very little to do. Uh, it's thank... unbelievable. Watch this. Thank you, Julian. Now, are you ready for this? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to do it because it says it right here. Steve Grasso, are we heading for a year-end rally? What would you do, draw the short stick? You have to say. So, or what? So, I don't make a so move. Yeah, I have to make huh? a binary, I you binary move right well, here. You know what? I don't yes. answer the top are of the show. I have it at the top yeah. of the A block, at the bottom of the A block. It's unbelievable. So will there be a... So I think it's what, uh, what Julian said. I think oh, you have to get... Off on I think you have to get a flush. <laughs> He's not even here right now. He's been expert. I didn't ask him what he said. I just told you what he said. So I am threading that needle again. I think you're going to see a sell-off. I think it's going to suck the most amount of people in as possible, and then we're going to rally into year-end. So, yes, December, I see as a higher month. One thing just to, to talk about today that concerned me was the move in oil after OPEC seemingly stepped in and right. said, you know, we've got some resolve here. Oil finishes lower. Remember, the last time oil was potentially in this kind of a move where we were talking about too much supply, uh, the dollar was getting stronger, and the rest of the world, at least, was concerned about lower growth. This was a very difficult time for risk assets, certainly for oil and certainly for ultimately the global How can oil risk move, market. How can oil move higher when you have Russia, 
United States and Saudi Arabia pumping at record levels. So you still levels. say it's supply. See, so, we argued this morning, was it supply or demand? And, yeah. and when with the Saudi news, it looked like it was supply because it was up this morning. It was right. up a percent. Yeah. Right. I think it's a supply. Closed down by I the end of the day, then it's not supply. Maybe it is demand. With the Iranian How do you know? sanctions, with the Iranian sanctions, I think everyone was in a rush to pump a little bit more. So you had the Russians step on the gas. You had the Saudis step on the gas. But when you get waivers yeah. for a bunch of different countries, that can't help but cause a glut in the pipeline. I hope you're right, because if it's demand, we're in a heap of trouble, right? I mean, when it drops sure. down 20%, if it's not supply, and it's something we don't know yet about global demand, you, you agree with that? Yeah, price you, is truth. Huh? Okay. Maybe. All right, coming up, um, <laughs> can I do this now? Or you sure, I think oh, you should. All right, all right. We've, we've got you covered the whole hour, every angle of this market sell-off, and if you're looking for opportunity amid the chaos, we're going to tell you where investors are running for cover. Plus, check out Goldman Sachs. Now the stock down a whopping 7%. It's a big move for this Dow component, leading the financials lower, having its worst day since November, way back in 2011. So what's wrong with the big bank? We've got a special report. Then later, the retailers holding steady, despite the selling that we've been seeing in the last couple of weeks. But could all that change when they report earnings? We've got those details. We are live from Times Square in New York City, and there's much more fast... That's right. There's much more fast money right after this. Welcome back uh, to Fast Money. The financials taking it on the chin today, dropping 2%. The real culprit was Goldman Sachs, which fell a whopping 7% today for its worst day since way back in 2011. Robert Frank is in the newsroom with more on what's wrong with the big bank. Robert. Hey, Joe. Well, reports that former Goldman CEO Lloyd Blankfein met with the central figure in the multi-billion dollar 1MDB fraud has raised concerns that the scandal could escalate. The Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg both reporting that Blankfein was at a meeting with Joe Lowe in New York in 2009. That was after Goldman refused to open a private banking account for Joe Lowe over questions about his source of wealth. The Wall Street Journal reporting that Blankfein and Joe Lowe both attended a second meeting together in 2013. Sources tell me that while Jolo was on the guest list for that meeting, he did not actually attend. Now, the DOJ has been investigating Malaysia's 1MDB scandal and Goldman's possible role, charging three former executives in Asia with money laundering, bribery, and other charges. Goldman says it's a victim of rogue employees who kept superiors in the dark about Jolo and the theft of billions of dollars from the fund. Now, Goldman earned around $600 million in fees from the sale of $6 billion in bonds for 1MDB. And former Goldman banker Tim Leisner said in his guilty plea that he, quote, conspired with others at Goldman, very much in line with its culture to conceal facts from certain compliance and legal employees of Goldman Sachs. Joe, back to you. All right, to Robert, thank you. Is there still hope for a turnaround for Goldman? Well, hold on. I didn't call on you yet. (laughs) Hold on. Hold on. You think it's all planned. I got him last time. (laughs) Seymour. There you go. All right. I didn't see Uh, that coming. (laughs) That's talent. For Goldman Sachs here, this is a company that's been drastically underperforming the the XLF or the financial sector. You could look at at Goldman underperforming by almost 25% to the XLF over the last two years. So um, is this a kind of a one-off event that's plaguing Goldman? Unfortunately, I don't think so. Um, I don't think L blank, that would be Lloyd Blankfein and co, since we're using these kinds of cool <laughs> yeah, terms. Yeah. I don't think he should be maligned in the context of the entire institution. That's 
my view. I do think that there are rogue traders. I do think Goldman needs to, to answer up to it. Bottom line is the market's looking at the potential also of at least what the numbers that are being thrown around are $600 million in bank fees, possibly a billion dollars. And people are looking at what this means for a company that doesn't seem to grow revenues like they used to. That's the issue. Well, that's the point, right? Their business models changed from in the past, or at least they're trying to change their business model. So typically in a volatile environment like we've had, you might look to Goldman to make some money off of trading revenues and all of that, but we know that they are changing their, their uh, business model. So that's why this stock gets so hurt in this environment. Not only that, the financials have just not performed at all in an environment you know, that they should have you know performed what, quite well. It reminds me of Pete at the top of the show brought up Apple, and he said Apple was the last soldier when you're talking about tech. It's a good bank. J.P. Morgan yeah. is the last soldier when it comes to banking. J.P. Morgan is the only one of the ones that we really look at on a day-to-day -day basis that's still positive year-to-date. It's up 1.8%. If it doesn't white-knuckle hold that, I think people say, you know what, let's leave that sector alone. That's a utility, but it's not a utility that's offering us any defensive allocations. In our but I've heard, and I was watching you guys this morning, and I saw several people up there defending the whole banking world. I, I, I would join them as well, okay. because I still think there's great mm -hmm. opportunities there, Joe. And when I look at Goldman Sachs trading at almost one times book, yep, 1 that gets very, very interesting to me. I mean, now I understand the ramifications of what's going on here, and it's big, but I also remember the London Whale and everything else. So there are things in the past that have pressed things down and created opportunity. Now, is, the, is this the bottom? I don't think it's necessarily the bottom for some of these banks. I actually th have a very conservative side and then a very aggressive side. On the conservative side, I have a company, U.S. Bank, regional bank, happens to be out of Minnesota, of course. Yeah, but of course. I really think that they – do you ever read anything negative about them ever? You just never hear anything, and yet they actually sprawl across the country pretty well. And this is a, a bank that actually does execute and doing things right. They're actually hanging in there fine. They got a great dividend stream, everything else that you're looking for. I think you have on the other side, when you want some beta, then you have to look at like a Goldman Sachs, probably not even JP. JP is actually pretty safe. But that's what concerns me about a Wells Fargo, for instance, is when are they not a headline just somewhere about, in but the but Just think about the Sachs, they can't even perform. That's what I'm that's saying. That's the problem. Right. I yeah, mean, yeah. even if everything was great, if they had no uh, risks at all of these headlines, they haven't been able to perform when rates are going up and the economy's been strong. Guess what, guys? The XLF has outperformed the S&P by 3% since October started when the market's been a mess. So banks haven't been, uh, been destroyed. In fact, they've been outperforming on a relative basis. All right. Um, I think I'm going to say take a look at General Electric. We may have seen it a couple of minutes ago. I, and I, thought, I, I think yeah. I saw it. Did I see a seven handle? I uh, did. Seven handle mostly. I did. And it fell 7%, uh, closing just below $8 a share. We're going to tell you what the CEO said. The the, new, the latest one, you got it. I mean, they move fast at that place. Uh, they, they had shareholders running from the stock today, an interview with David Faber. Then uh, later, looking for opportunity amid the sell off, there's one stock in the sea of red today that had Pete Nigerian pounding the table. Really, Pete? Huh. He's on the spot next with a, that? a binary yeah, answer. He'll table. tell us the name. There's much more fast money live from Times Square right after this break. I'm just going to sleep on a couch. <laughs> Welcome back to Fast Money. I don't know why I'm laughing. Uh, a big sell-off on the street with the Dow dropping 600 points. Wasn't funny unless, uh, unless you're out or short. Volatility gripping uh, Wall Street once again. Traders are on the hunt for safety, but not in the usual places. Our very own Mike Santoli, who uh, is like bookends on, on the CNBC day, is like me, in fact. Uh, we're yeah, together uh, exactly. today. Down at the New York Stock Exchange with all the details. Mike. 
on the 12-hour plan. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> Joe. Uh, you know, and it's actually this, this dynamic of quality stocks outperforming the broad market really started to take hold even before we had that correction in October. The run-up in September, you started to see people say, you know what, it has kind of a defensive leadership profile. And that's, I think, been solidified in the last several weeks. So what is quality as defined here? It's not the same thing as value. These aren't necessarily cheap stocks, but they're stocks basically with very strong and stable businesses, you know, powerful brand names, resilient profit margins, also low debt. So strong cash flow, strong balance sheets. Healthcare fits a lot of those profiles. It's been the best performing sector this year, up 11 percent. And then the rest of it, it's kind of a Warren Buffett type stock uh, basket, you might call it. Coke, P&G, Disney, Starbucks uh, would be the kinds of stocks that would fall into this uh, general area of quality. The big question is what it means for the broad market, that these are the, the stocks that have been doing very well, and you're starting to see strategists say you might want to tilt toward quality. It's not to say that you were definitely heading for harder times or a continuation of the volatility that we've seen, but if we were headed for a bear market or something like that, this is kind of the profile of the, of the leadership you'd see uh, at this stage right now. I think one of the big questions is, obviously, financial tightening at the same time you're having uh, an economic slowdown means people are kind of hunkering down, figuring out uh, how much more is left in this cycle. Again, not cheap stocks, but an interesting place, I think, uh, that money is flowing in the context of, uh, of people being a little bit on edge. Am I going to see you tomorrow, Mike? Uh, I believe 7 a.m. 7 a.m. Be there. Yeah. Good. Because uh, I'll, I'll change it up a little bit. No, that's all right. Because we were talking about. Thursday. And fr <laughs> Remember Thursday and Friday? We it, it didn't feel as great as Wednesday. And now, you know, now I don't know what to think. Uh, anyway, we'll look forward to that. Yeah. Uh, look forward to that tomorrow, uh, Mike. So uh, let's see. Got you. I got you. You mean you? Oh, you're going to you. me this time. You. Oh, you. No, I can talk. What, what, what do you think? Should we follow the flock? On this? I, I, flock I, is a tough word to say. Yeah. Uh, on this. Uh, uh, you think flock is yeah, tough? Yeah. 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 On this flight, keep plucking well, that chicken. Uh, on right. this uh, flight to quality, Brian. Flight. flight no. the, should I follow the flock? Uh, no, you shouldn't follow the flock. Don't. Especially no. No. If these things have run up since the middle of October, now everybody's all of a sudden learned about them, going, "Wow, this is the place we've got to be." You know, BK likes to be on the other side of the boat. Once everybody's run to one side, I'm going to run to the other side, especially the way you look at something the way McDonald's traded today. Opened higher, closed lower, does not look what good to me. What happens if tech continues to sell off? That's, then everything that's sells off. That's yeah, my but, concern. But that, that hasn't happened in this one. That, that hasn't, hasn't happened, happened in this yet. case. That hasn't happened with yeah, the but I'm saying, look, that's things. why I'm saying, look yeah, at I mean, McDonald's this is, trade. This is an alternative to tech. I mean, I so haven't grown tech, six inches and got an NBA contract if yet. That tech, you know, if that's, but this has happened. This has happened already. So this has happened in October. So if it continues to operate the same way, you're going to see the same action, and these names can go further. Okay. Do you right. do Not that with often? Me on Keep hope out. What? The, the BK doesn't like that. They're, I mean, that, yeah. remember I mean, the I know, Jimmy doesn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy does it. Yeah. Jimmy's mad. Yeah. Jimmy's a third-person talker. It's in my Twitter yeah. file. That's weird. Yeah. Bob, that's, that's weird. weird. That is weird. Uh, that is weird. I can't believe you never knew that. Uh, uh, okay. BK <laughs> yeah, says we got to go. Yeah. for a long time. That's right. He's been third-person talker for a decade. Joe K says we're going to Carter Worth, I think. Our next guest says there's a number of names sitting out to fall. Uh, selling that are worth a buy. Chartmaster, that's cool. Carter Worth is over at the Plasma to break it down. Carter, uh, how you doing? Sir. Take it away. Thanks, Joe. Uh, first, we thought we'd do a little S&P just to try to figure out where we could go. Um, what we do know, you of do course, that? there's no way out of this, right, you is can't. that we have a double top. In fact, that spike high in January, record inflows into ETFs, spiders, and iShares, record. Also, highest RSI reading on a weekly basis since 1990. Pretty classic blow-off, pretty classic double top. And we also have a well-defined trend line. We have bounced once, twice, 
three times. We got here a fourth time. We bounced ever so slightly, but we undercut. And that's the issue. Ultimately, we have a double top. We have a break in trend. Where could we go? Um, there are reference points. If we go just to the low of Monday, October 29th, um, that's uh, about 4%, 4.5% from here. We close at 27.26. That's 26.03. If we were to go to the February lows, that's the 9th, Friday the 9th of February, that's 25.32. That would be about another 7.5% from here. Doesn't have to stop there, but at least it gives you some reference point if and as we go lower, I think we do, uh, where we might go. Let's go to a few stocks. Um, you know, classic defensive is soap and cereal, they used to say. Humana, it's a beta of 0.8. That's the key, right? It's a low beta stock. And just as is the case, but not with the market, it has bounced off its trend line over and over and over. And it, however, successfully, as opposed to the market, has been able to stay on trend. That's appealing. I like the relative strength. I like the uptrend. Let's do another one. Here's Echolab. These people do chemicals and water filtration and uh, basically uh, play to the industrial space, but on sort of a safety trade. Here, too, the general principle is it stayed on trend, has not broken trend, and has gone higher. Let's try another one. Just roll through them quickly. Abbott Labs, it's really the same circumstance. Good uptrends, and then the point is stocks that have rallied, whereas the market has faltered, the bet being that these are relative strength winners, absolute winners. Um, Thermo Fisher, really it's the same thing. I'll just move along. Let's go to the next one. Um, here's, uh, well, baking soda. You know, this is the same principle. These all act very well. The last chart is a basket of those five stocks. Humana, Ecolab, Abbott's, Thermo, Church and Dwight. Is this not the very definition of a virtually perfect uptrend? And I'm going to make the bet that that's going to, if it's going to roll like the market, you'll have plenty of time to figure that out. But for now, the bet is otherwise, up and to the right. Quality stocks, or you can call it whatever you want. It's defensive. I think it's the place to be. Chartmaster, come on over here. You, you, you're flying colors. I mean, you get invited over to death. Was there any precipitation likely in any of those <laughs> things? You, uh, is it overnight? Can you... Uh, which ones? Exactly. Hey, so oh, these mics are on at all times. Is that what yeah, I just heard? We, we actually keep fun. it cool. cool. That's when fun, the isn't it? Are on. Yeah. The mics <laughs> never go off. That's, uh, whoa, that's dangerous. Uh, Carter, do you have any names that are your favorite in that group? Yeah, I would say Abbott Labs, hmm. probably best in class, meaning just steady. But Humana is quite good and not shown there is UNH. I mean, these are both absolute winners, and then the key is we know this. When a cycle goes, you have bifurcation. We had that, semis, industrials, financials, but the market stayed up. Then they break the high flyers, Square, Microsoft, Adobe, Amazon, and then people cluster into defensive names. It's really not over until you go after those, which is what your point was. Really, 3% in the two-year notes, not so bad right here. So, Carter, when I look at the S&P where you started out, now I, I'm negative as you are, I believe. We feel like we have a little more further to go. But I saw something today that could possibly be an inverted Head and shoulders. Some of that minor head and yeah. shoulders from the sure, that's very possible. I think um, it's it's maybe hoping. I mean, the market, I think it is. I think, I think it's it hoping. Is. You know, the chart in the S and P and seeing a minor head and shoulders bottom. I think the, the issue is this: the damage done is substantial enough that we we heard how long on average it takes to get back to a new high. Um, 
But the further we sink individual securities, the more likely it is that this topping process that's been underway, frankly, since the blow-off high in January, is enduring in nature. Especially with a 4% weight like Apple and, and some trouble here. But you've talked about in past shows, it's not a bad day to remind us the bottom of the channel on the S&P, where we could still stay in this bull zone and actually just be respecting the bottom end of this uptrend. That's right. Where we are we? Be, let's say we get to the, well, if we were to get, you're talking about the, the 10-year sort of chart? Sure. Well, that would be 2,300. Ooh. But if you just look at the bottom of February 9th, to go down another 7.5%, that would, that would get it. But here, let me, let me maybe end with this. I think the worst single thing we could have done is the fact that we bounced 7%, 8% off the lows of the last two weeks. What you wanted to do was actually go down another 7 Not because I'm rooting for down, but then you can get a cathartic capitulatory bounce. The fact that we bounced 7 8%, some stocks 20 and 30, that keeps hope alive. You say, oh, it's okay, year in rally. A year-end rally, listen, they talk about the statistics. Unless you have 200 inputs, we only have 100-plus years of inputs in the market, it's statistically insignificant. And buybacks, these are all just hope. We don't know that we get a year-end rally, and we don't know that we get buybacks. That's not a thesis. It's not a premise. It's not a strategy. It's just maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. We didn't close down 10%. On anything, right? Maybe the S&P. No, no, individual, a lot of individual stocks. No, no, I know. No. But, but the but, I mean, peak to trough for, decline was 11.47%. Did it, it didn't close down 10, did it? Or did, no, it, but intraday prices, it's like saying. No, I know, but, but yeah. I mean, for, for a decent, you're looking for a toilet, you're looking for the flush, right? Well, what you want for, in order to get it back, you've got to get people out. You've got to right. shake people out. If you look at the most widely held stocks at Merrill Lynch, the, you know, at, at Schwab, at, at any of the online brokers, it's still the same names and people haven't abandoned them yet. It takes a lot of damage for people to finally give up on their beloved winners. Yep, right. All right, Carter Worth. Well, you are beloved too, Carter. Nice well, to yeah. 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 yeah, you earned this spot at the, uh, the, spot the desk. You did. Does come with a coffee or anything? Yeah, whatever. No, you, that's yeah, actually, coffee's for yeah. closers. <laughs> oh, that's good. That, uh, yeah, okay. Coming up, General Electric getting uh, crushed again today. Uh, down 7% to a 7 handle. As the CEO, Larry Cope, was on CNBC earlier this morning, we'll bring you those comments. Plus, it's not just GE sinking today. There was a sea of red on Wall Street. I'm surprised any of that. Uh, they got that little green stripe. The Dow and S&P both dropping 2%. But Pete Najarian says, yeah, says there's one name that could survive the sell-off. And he's going to guarantee us that. No, guarantee. Not, but, yeah. Don't <laughs> yeah. tell us what it is when nice. Fast Money returns. <laughs> Whether it's a, an equity analyst, whether it's the rating agencies witness the downgrades, uh, or what we've said ourselves, we need to bring the leverage down. And I think we've got plenty of opportunities through asset sales to do that. In the last six weeks, this is my sixth, uh, Mark, six weeks on the job, I've heard from lots of people across our, our markets, people who have interest in GE assets. And I think that's confirmation that we have quality franchises and, frankly, that we have options. And that was a newly appointed CEO of General Electric, Larry uh, Culp, speaking with our own David Faber on Squawk on the Street this morning. The stock falling below $8 a share, closing uh, right there. Tim, you're a GE shareholder. What do you do now? Buy yourself a Vente latte? With, I'm with not sure it's going to buy that, Joe. Uh, maybe a yeah. grande. I think, actually, it's a grande. <laughs> well, not probably. Starbucks uh, anymore because Starbucks's prices have gone up. So yeah, that's <laughs> right. a tough time right. for me. Right. Um, look, you know, I, anyone that's holding out hope for a massive turnaround anytime soon is certainly in the wrong place. And for me, you know, with a, uh, it was a 35 basis point position. It's not one that to me is material. But here's the most important point. Every dollar I lose in the stock is a, a new dollar. So, you know, what have I learned in the last couple months? First of all, what have I learned in the last couple of days? The numbers that we've gotten out of this company since earnings and even some of the guidance we've gotten 
gotten recently tells you that the run rate uh, on fundamentals is deteriorating significantly and that consensus cuts are, are, are still happening. So um, at some point, there has to be this stop-loss mentality for people that own this stock. And you have to ask yourself, first of all, what don't you still know? And I think Larry Culp, everybody gives a lot of credit for being out there, being accountable. Uh, the asset sales, to me, are very important. And I think we need to some, see something in the short run, even though you can't sell something when you go in drooling, Pete. The biggest issue I have right now is, he says, yeah, we need to sell some assets at some point. Well, everybody knows that, right? So who's got the, you always want to be the side of power. Right now, GE is not on the side of power. And their, their power, obviously, is a big problem as well. <laughs> right, no but I just take, I looked from November 1st, Joe, all the way until now, right? Six separate occasions so far, all we've seen is monstrous put buying, and they continue to be right. I went back a year ago, they were buying 100,000 puts when the stock was trading in the upper teens. I mean, it's amazing how right the options market has been in right. this particular stock in terms of looking at what the management's doing, the fact that they were always reactive, not proactive, and the fact that, unfortunately, because of that, they have assets that do have value but not nearly the kind of value when they were actually chasing them. They were running to the well, high they're on energy. the books, possibly. Right. So, I mean, yeah. the reality is that's too? the big yeah. cut. So yeah, so I, I actually own it. Not, not too far. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not being that guy. Not too much higher than where it is right now. But I will tell you, when we just said about the flush in the overall market, yeah. I felt like we're getting the flush. I, granted, it's an everyday occurrence with GE right yeah. now. Yeah. It's an everyday occurrence when you get the flush. Today was sort of constructive in a vomit world of GE. Not <laughs> sure what that means. That's you put a, it looks like to me vomit. it's building a little bit of a base here. So we'll see what uh, happens to the overall market. You always, you know, I was a stockbroker for 10 years. You get down to seven or whatever and you say, well, how much further can it go? Yeah. Uh, you can still lose 100% of your money. It doesn't matter. You can still lose 100% of your money. And that's some of the parts thing. Right. Did, you marry, did you marry your losers? And I'm not talking about my wife. Did right. you marry your... Uh, the problem is what, what, what <laughs> you did nature, with me. What human nature is, is we sell our winners too quick and we hold on to our losers too long. And GE is a loser that I've been holding for too long. But I am. Was it double digits when you bought it? So it wasn't nine when you bought it. No, it wasn't. Was it nine? It was double digits. Yeah, but it was low double digits. All right. You know, right. if, if you're right. counting to go. a million, it was very low. Tell me, I gotta go. Taking you to task here. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're not you a statement. Marry you, losers. Uh, Mrs. Grasso did that. No. Coming up, uh, it was a the brutal, brutal day on Wall Street. The Dow dropping 600 points. S and P and Nasdaq. I used it on me, and then I used, mm. it, used That's it. That's fine. It all works. Yeah. Uh, also, Nasdaq also getting hit hard, but Pete has one name he says could rise Come above on, the selling. Ooh. He's going to tell us what it is. Plus, it's a huge earnings week for the retailers. Are any of these names a buy ahead of the holidays? Stick around to find out. More Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. It was a sea of red on Wall Street today. The Dow and S&P falling around 2%. The Nasdaq more, 50% uh, more. In fact, down almost 3%. Uh, but Pete Nigerian says that there's one name that could survive the sell-off. He's over at the Plasma with his fast pitch. Pete, what stock are you looking at? It's going to be Lululemon, and I will tell you this right now. The P.E. is very high, so that's one thing that in this challenging market, Joe, that is something you have to deal with. But even on a day like today, it didn't get hit that hard. Here's why I like it. Here's my three points. The solid, man solid management. Now, the chairman himself actually loves who the new CEO is. This guy a year ago, by the way, Mr. Murphy, a year ago bought 100,000 shares in the 60s. Now the stock's in the 130 area. So he's got a lot of faith in their, in their company and in terms of the CEO, absolutely loves, thinks it's the ideal pick. It's a new CEO, so that's something that you have to keep in mind. But I like what the direction of this company is. 
The incredible buybacks, you look at the fundamental story of this company, one of them, Joe, is the buybacks. When you see the kind of buybacks they're seeing now, they've shrunk their share count by 9% since 2014. That's some great buying. And, oh, by the way, they didn't do it by debt. They didn't finance this thing. They did it with cash, which, by the way, when you look at their balance sheet, they have zero debt, nothing like GE, but they also have three or $800 million sitting there as well. So a great-looking side there. But the one issue is you do look at the multiple. It is pretty high. I'm going to tell you that. But they're growing, growing, growing. And where are they growing? The double-digit growth. Earnings, that's up 20-plus percent. Revenue in that 20 percent area as well. So great. The idea that we're seeing right now in terms of growth, I love it. Here's the chart. Down a 1.5% today on a stock that's a high multiple stock. Why aren't they getting hit? They have growth. It's a U.S.-centric company. I like what we're seeing here with Lulu. Hey, Pete, yeah. uh, real quick, bottom line is same-store sales were up 19% second quarter, blowout numbers, but this holiday season is massive for them. Yeah. Uh, this may be what you're saying in terms of the multiple, but I see expectations extremely high. They are extremely high, but I think this is why they can exceed it, Tim. You and I both know e-commerce. They crush it every quarter in e-commerce. I expect that to be very strong for them as well, and they don't have as much of that international exposure as a lot of companies. They're getting there, but they're just starting now to go over into China and other places around the world. But the fact that they're U.S.-centric and a strong economy, I like this name. All right, no more questions. Uh, time to vote. I cannot vote. I'm wearing some stretchy Lululemon oh, pants. Oh, I hope they're not see-through, uh, Joe. Uh, <laughs> not see-through, uh, but I'm, I must recuse myself. But you guys uh, can vote on Pete's pitch mm. on Lululemon. Grasso, I think you're for so, so, Pete, I yep. agree with you. Great company. It's a tough valuation, though, and you have tough comps going forward. And the chart tells me that it's rolling over right now, so I'm going to say sell. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. Is- BK, what does what does yeah. BK think? Which BK? Can you do it in the third person? I can please. do. BK please. can do anything in the third person. That's how he lives his life. <laughs> BK thinks it. it's a no-no. Lulu's a no-no, and I, I I like what Pete's saying. I understand the growth, but the problem is in this market environment, those high PE stocks can get taken out to the woodshed if it breaks through 133. BK would see what he did there with a downward dog. Right? Oh, you see that? Yeah, yeah it's a downward dog. It's, it's my vote. I realize my vote doesn't matter anymore, but I'm a buyer of what Pete had to say. Again, new CEO McDonald is crushing it. I actually yep. think that they had a blowout quarter that carries into this holiday wow. season. It's the first time I realized Pete Pete's bald after looking There's, at that photo. There's some you know, I didn't notice that. Thank you. Thank you. Yo, that's nice. not right. I do this in Central Park right. on the weekends, by the way, for a little extra cash. Better make than stock picking. Make up for my GE position. This is a really good idea. Um, I'm gonna, this is a great idea. Are you at home buying Pete's Pitch for Lululemon? Vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. Coming to a squawk box near you. Those uh, results later in the Ooh, show. Not Plus, so good, Pete. Uh, quick programming note. Don't miss a very special Veterans Day edition of Mad Money. Uh, tonight, Jim's teaming up with top U.S. companies and the armed forces uh, to salute our troops. Great idea. Catch that at the top of the hour. More Fast Money straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. It is make or break for retail as a number of big names like Home Depot, Walmart, Macy's, and JCPenney all gear up to report earnings this week. Despite all the market turbulence, uh, the XRT ETF uh, that tracks the group is still up nearly 8% year-to-date. It's been hanging tough for the past two days. Brian Kelly, what are the names that BK is watching this week? Yeah, so, so he's <laughs> well going to look at uh, he's going to look at Home Depot and he's going to look at Walmart. And primarily because everybody has been saying the one thing that's holding up this market, the one thing that's holding up this economy is the U.S. consumer. We're coming, obviously, into the holiday season, supposed to be seasonally strong. But if something like Home Depot does not do well, especially in light of what the housing stocks have done, then I think you have a Another crack in the market. Hmm. 
How'd you like that? I liked it. Yeah. That was nice. Okay. Thank okay. you, buddy. did good. Yeah, I, I tell you what, you know, bottom line is, is, is I think the approach to this holiday season, especially for a company like Macy's, is very different. And, again, this is a stock that really rewarded people who had faith in their turnaround. Now, suddenly, is the department store, which was going out of business, suddenly going to be this livelihood at the holiday season? I think expectations, again, at Macy's might have gotten a little ahead of themselves. But, again, the valuation to me is certainly doable for a company that I think has gotten their business in order. Um, and I actually think you can start to get long the stock again. Thank you, Tim. All right, I'm going to try it. Well, the options market is implying some interesting moves for two big box retailers when they report this week. Mike uh, Co is out in San Francisco to break it down for us. And Mike, they said I could like be one of the guys immediately if I said, "Take it away, Coco." Uh, is that? Um, <laughs> I, I, is, is that? Fantastic. That's one, of, that's one of my many, many nicknames. Yeah, so, you know, BK was talking about Walmart and Home Depot. And I don't know if those two names are really very close parallels of one another. But one thing they do share is above average implied moves for this particular earnings release. It's about four and a quarter percent for Home Depot, about four and a half percent for Walmart. And as I said, that's well above average for those two names. In Home Depot's case, we saw well above average put volume. And in Walmart, actually, the calls were predominating on also well above average volume. I was looking at Home Depot because, of course, after today's sell-off, you can't help but look to the downside. And it was the November 175 puts in particular that were catching my eye. Over 5,600 of those ended up trading for about $1.75. So clearly the options market in this particular instance is making bets that Home Depot's above average move might likely be lower by the end of the week. All right, Mike, uh, thanks. He, he wanted to be called T-Bone. I told you to call T-Bone. T-Bone. But he got called Coco. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. For more options, okay, T-Bone. For more options action, check out the full show Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Okay. Do you know what Pete, Pete, uh, you know what Pete listens to when he's practicing his downward-facing dog? It is Tony Braxton's oh, Unbreak My surprise. Heart because America voted no on your Lulu That's all right. Pit. Doesn't hurt my feelings at all. All right, final trade. Pete. GE puts. Continue to Whoa. roll them and hold them, baby. This thing's going lower. Woo. Grasso. Merck. BK. What's BK say? BK says take profits and McDonald's. Tip. <laughs> Boeing. Holding up here. Like Boeing, it. Boeing, Boeing. <laughs> all right. Mad Money starts right nice now. Nice job, Joe. Thank you. Way to go, Joe. Thanks, guys.